When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, reader. I'm Cindy Burnett. Welcome to my award-winning podcast, Thoughts from a Page, which is a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. On the show, I chat with authors whose books I have enjoyed about their new releases, and I give you a peek behind the curtain of the publishing industry with my behind-the-scenes series. With so many books coming out weekly, it can be hard to decide what to read, so I find the best ones and share them with you. If you're looking for a community of readers, bonus content, and a chance to read books before they hit the shelves, I hope you'll consider joining my Patreon group, which is filled with a wonderful bunch of book lovers. The link to join is in the show notes. Do you love to be in the know about upcoming books? Kelly Hooker of At Kelly Hook Reads Books and I do too. We couldn't find a comprehensive list of titles all in one place, so we made one ourselves, and now we're sharing it with you. Our literary lookbook is a list of 182 books releasing from January to May 2024, curated for our communities. The link to buy it is in my show notes. Today, for my November behind-the-scenes episode, Victoria Wood, creator of Biblio Lifestyle, joins me to discuss her work in the literary world. Victoria is the creator behind Biblio Lifestyle, an online community and weekly email newsletter for aspiring and avid readers. She is also the host of the Reader's Couch podcast and the Epigraph Literary Festival organizer. She lives in Florida with her family. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly. And our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. Welcome, Victoria. How are you today? I'm doing well. So happy to be here with you, Cindy. I am so glad you're here as well for this special behind-the-scenes episode. My listeners love these, learning more about other people in the publishing world and the book space. And I'm so excited to chat with you all about your book community. Yay, I'm so proud of it. It's been a labor of love. And uh, yeah. So why don't we start out with you talking a little bit about Biblio Lifestyle. You're the founder. And just tell me how it all got started and what you do. So Biblio Lifestyle first started as an idea in my head. While I never had a name for it, I just went on Instagram, created a social media page and started sharing books. But I officially flipped the switch on Biblio Lifestyle in late 2019 and sent my first email newsletter in 2020. But uh, in summary, I like to say Biblio Lifestyle is an online community for aspiring and avid readers. So if there's someone out there wanting to start a reading habit, we have the resources to get you started. But if you're an avid reader, We have a community where you can talk about the books you've recently read, but also get inspiration for what to read next. Have you always liked to read? Always loved reading. Uh, My love for reading was fostered by my paternal grandparents. 
They were very involved in raising me. And I have fond memories of my granddad taking me to the library. My grandmother, her best friend in Orr Village, she had a bookstore. So that was helpful. Uh, so when my mom would go shopping to the farmer's market, the meat market, which I hated, she would drop me off at the bookstore and I would just run around. I'd find something I'd want to read. I'd sit and read it. It also helped. My grandmother had a tab there. Plus, I would be gifted books a lot along the way. So yes, I've been a lifelong reader and I'm so grateful for it, really. And so grateful, I am sure, to be able to develop this love of reading into everything you've developed it into. Yes, uh, I just, it's, it's wild. Uh, if someone would have told little me, not just the little girl in the bookstore, but even college me, that this would have happened, I would say, no, <laughs> not at all, not at all. So it's been happenstance, it's been kismet, it's been fortunate, all the positive things. I never thought I would have a space in this world where I could talk about books and that people would even just care to hear what I have to say. People always say to me, it's so amazing that you've taken your passion and developed it into the world that you have. And I just love that. I mean, I've always loved to read as well. And I think it's just amazing to be able to take that love of reading and develop it into a business. I know. It's, it's again, it's a bit wild. So just to give your listeners some context, I always loved reading. My family encouraged reading, but never in a million years I thought there was a space to have a job in books or reading or publishing even. It just, it was completely beyond me. So uh, like most immigrant parents, uh, they you know pushed me into something that was more practical, something that made sense. So even though while they were quite supportive, they would always just say, hey, you have to do something <laughs> that um, can help you pay your bills. So my background is in healthcare. I've worked in radiology for over 20 years. I love it. So I've been fortunate to have a career that I loved. I kind of, you know, moved away from the practical uh, practice of it to teaching, which I also enjoyed. And to then have the ability to step back and then say, well, what's next? What's next for you, Victoria? And I look around me and I'm always, I've always been surrounded by books. And to then say, well, maybe you can make something of books and recommending and you know working with, alongside publishers and authors and their agents it just it's it's incredibly magical but i feel incredibly fortunate that i was able to find a space for myself in this industry and you do a wide variety of things in the book world so let's talk about them let's break it down a little bit you started with instagram then you launched your newsletter and i love your newsletter i get it every friday what did you do after that so after the newsletter, I think folks online, specifically Instagram at the time, they were incredibly kind sharing it all around. And it caught the attention of not just readers who I love, but also some publishing professionals. So then I started receiving inquiries. Well, hey, would you be open to possibly advertising? I had never thought about it. Again, I was still very much in the phase of, well, I'm reading these books I love Instagram, but I feel I'm being drowned out there. So maybe if I try to connect with folks via email, that would work. So from that one inquiry to do you advertise in your newsletter, it opened up other opportunities. But prior to starting Biblio Lifestyle, I had worked alongside indie booksellers. So I also had a network with indie booksellers as well. So publishers wanted to reach indie booksellers. So they also asked, well, hey, would you be willing to work with uh, indie booksellers in placements and, you know, referrals and stuff back to us. And I was like, well, 
yeah, I think I could do that. So I started doing that as well. And then the last ask was, well, we see you're very active online in the Instagram space. Do you have a network of influencers that you can connect us with? So it started from there as well. So I feel sometimes I was in the right place at the right time. But I also think it's a combination of always saying yes. I do say no a bit sometimes, but especially in those early days, I was a lot more open-minded to, okay, yeah, I think I could do that. And it just kind of spiraled from there. So you mentioned your network of influencers, and that has to do with your book tours. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yes, absolutely. So I've started doing book tours actually back in 2018, just as a favor for some authors that I read and absolutely loved. And I would just gather a handful of folks and say, hey, Author X has this book coming out and I absolutely loved it. I would love to know if you'd be interested in reading it or sharing about it, you know, whatever you're open to, let me know. And it started with just a handful of readers. Um, But as time went on, I realized it was more efficient to have an actual database where I can send an email and say, hi, everyone, this is what's going on. Let's take it from there. So In 2018, I started taking it a bit more seriously. It was also around the time when influencers and just your everyday reader kind of felt that the publishing industry wasn't doing a really good job at getting the books for marginalized authors into the hands of marginalized readers. It was more of a numbers metric at the time. So I was able to kind of help bridge that gap in those early stages. So that was 2018, going into 2019. And then in 2020, I was finally able to make a business out of it. And so publishers contact you and say, I have a new book by so-and-so author. Would you like to run a tour for it? It's mostly publishers, yes. But in more recent times, I've been contacted by the authors themselves, which makes it a lot more personal because I, I like to get to know the authors I'm working with or the books I'm promoting even before I start sharing them. I recognize, you know, not every book is for every reader, but when I can really get to the source, that is the author, you get to know their intentions, what their hopes are for the book, then we go from there. So I work directly with a lot of authors, a lot of agents, and I also work with publishers as well. But if I had to tip the scale, it would be more authors directly and their agents. Oh, okay. That's fascinating. I don't think I realized that. Yeah, I think most folks don't. That's the thing with books and the publishing industry. I don't know if you've uh, had this, Cindy, where there's a lot of mystery behind how things really work, because I don't think publishing has done a really good job at being transparent always. That's one of the reasons I launched this series, because I was getting questions all the time, and some I could answer and some I couldn't. And then people find all of the behind the scenes stuff so interesting because there isn't a lot of transparency. I'm not even sure it's necessarily purposeful. It's just the way the business operates. I mean, sometimes it probably is. But I mean, other times I think it's just there's so many different components and putting them all together is complicated. It is. And it's also very fast, but also very slow. Exactly. Yes. (laughs) I have a healthcare background. Things are usually just the same. It's very fast but it's also very slow. And I'm sure if someone's listening and they've had to deal with American healthcare and insurance and claims and filing and getting services done, you know, it can be a bit bonkers. But the same thing for, you know, in Europe as well, it's just, it takes time, but when it happens, it happens fast. And I agree. I don't think it's always purposeful. I just think it's a characteristic of the beast. Exactly. I think that's correct, but it still can be frustrating because it's nice to understand it all. 
Yes, absolutely. So again, grateful for platforms like yours. And then you launched your podcast, The Reader's Couch. Do you want to talk about that? Yes. So after doing the newsletter for some time where I'm writing, 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 folks wanted to kind of hear from me, like just put an actual voice. In more recent times, I've been sharing more pictures. So people would often say, ah, finally, I can put a face to um, all the content they're seeing. But yes, so my podcast is The Reader's Couch. It's a podcast where, like you, Cindy, I do author interviews. And I hope that listeners will discover new books, but they'll also get in this space reading tips that can help them along their reading journey. So again, whether you're trying to start a reading habit, whether you're in a slump, or whether you're trying to discover what to read next, I hope you can find uh, the podcast useful. But we also talk about lifestyle and wellness and self-care because that's something I'm incredibly passionate about. But more than anything, it's just a space where people can put a voice to everything they're reading and receiving in their email. And as you said, get to know you a little better. I feel that people have said the same about me. Like, it's really nice to have those personal details, learn a little bit more about the person behind the voice. Yes, absolutely. And I still think I am guilty of just not sharing more about myself. Actually, I think it's easier to talk about the books I'm reading and the authors I'm talking to and just every and anything else but myself. I'm so bad at it. And every year I'm like, oh, okay, let's put more of me in the show, put more of me in the newsletter. I've been trying, but it's incredibly difficult. I'm such a private person. So if that's the part that's so difficult for me is trying to share those things, I just am not always very comfortable with it. It's taken me a while to get more comfortable with it. Same here, same here. I'm I know I'm a talker, I'll chat, 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 chat away, I'll, I'll I have a million things to write about. But yes, I'm incredibly the same way, incredibly private. My family has always been that way. I've been raised that way. It's not very helpful. But also I try to, at least if I'm not able to put more of me out there, I try to at least share the experiences because I do think we have a lot more in common than we do different. And I think it's just because we're human and it's a part of the human experience. I absolutely agree with that. You have a paid community as well, and you have a BYOB book club, which I love this idea, and I was reading all about it on your website. So tell me a little bit more about the BYOB book club in your community. Oh, thank you so much, Cindy. I decided after running in real life book clubs, and I still do, but also trying to translate it in the online space with all the content I was creating and all the things I was doing, and I still very much wanted to have that space where we could just talk about the books we're reading. And I know sometimes having a book club selection can be a bit challenging for folks to kind of get around to it because you might not be in the mood for that particular book. You might want to read something else. So then I decided, well, hey, why don't I just create a book club where we can read what we want and just show up and talk to each other about it? Because sometimes, again... (laughs) Um, life happens. And while the book club selection might be something incredibly literary, someone might be going through something in their life and all they want to do is laugh or they want a romance. They just want to know that everything is okay. So that's how the Bring Your Own Book Club was born. So essentially, like the title suggests, we invite you to bring your own book, come to our monthly meetings and talk all about it. We have two meetings every month. It's usually the last Friday in the month. Sometimes we will do Thursday. We can vote on the day. And we have two times, 1 p.m. Eastern time and 7 p.m. Eastern time to kind of accommodate folks who are in different time zones, uh, not just here in the U.S., but across the world. And do those meetings go a very long time when everybody's talking about different books or are they pretty concise? Actually, it's pretty concise. I think because 
no one wants to kind of go into spoiler territory, but you just say enough that would pique someone's interest. And what I really encourage and what I started doing more of as well is tend to kind of try and provide the best book comparison you can or a mood recommendation. So you're saying, well, hey, if you're looking for something that is twisty, that will make you think, then this one is for you. If you're looking for something more atmospheric, where it's more about just the vibe, then this one is for you. And if you want to laugh out loud, this is for you. And if you're able to say, well, if you read X, then maybe Y would be good for you. But we do share a little premise, maybe highlight something that we loved about it, and uh, then we keep it moving. And then oftentimes, just from that conversation, it would be a spin-off conversation of, oh, did you read this book by that same author or something else that the book sounds like it reminded someone else of? So I think there's endless conversation. Uh, You can never predict where it's going to go. And I think that's what makes it fun. And everybody's TBRs explode after each one of these meetings. After each of the meetings, always. And it helps that we have our replays available. So if you want to hear what I've been reading or what someone else is reading, you can always just go back to the replays. And um, yeah, I'll leave a note. We also have a book recommendations channel. So even if it's not the book you end up sharing at book club, which again, sometimes we share more than one, you have that open channel as well. And I recently shared a book and someone was saying, oh, well, you know, I've, I've been meaning to read that one. So I'm really excited to get to it. And sometimes we have author deep dives where we're talking just about this one particular author and folks are really excited to see, well, what will be your favorite after kind of going through their catalog. That would be so much fun. And as I said, I'm sure my TBR would just continue to explode. Something that I don't need happening at these, <laughs> at this moment. I feel like my TBR is always exploding. <laughs> same, same. So many books, so little time. Exactly. Well, how do you decide what you're going to read? Ooh, that one is tough. So it's been interesting being an online creator who is reading to recommend to others, but also staying true to what you want to read. And in my case, you know, what I want to read. I think it's an interesting conundrum, but it's a fun one. So when I'm reading for Biblio Lifestyle, and I'm just for purposes of of, um, what I'm going to say, I'm going to say work. When I'm reading for Biblio Lifestyle, which is work, I'm always focused on my seasonal reading guides. So I create four seasonal reading guides a year, spring, summer, fall, winter. We have a holiday gift guide, which is just a bonus. But when I'm reading for each seasonal guide, I... First, look at catalogs. I look at pitches. I'll read summaries and I'll say, well, hey, this sounds interesting. Do I think my community would be interested in this? And then I'll curate a to be read list that I'm reading specifically for the guide. I think I need a North Star always when it comes to content creation and everything will spin off from there, from deciding who I'm going to invite on the podcast for an interview. It all starts there. So even if a book is not selected for the guide, but I've read it, And I was like, you know, I'd love to talk to the author about it because I enjoyed it that much. Then I'll invite them. But it all starts with the guide and then everything just kind of trickles down from there. So I'll create a TBR, again, based on catalogs, based on pitches, based on books I've received. I'll start reading. If it's good, I put it in the good pile. If it's not working for me right now, I put it in the did not finish pile. And if it's a hard no, it just, it goes in a hard no. And then from there, you know, I'll I'll work uh, from that. My personal reading though, I always try, no matter what, because I'm fortunate to do something I love and I don't want to ruin it. So I always make time for the books I want to read. And the books I want to read tend to be new books too, but I always kind of revisit those authors whose catalogs I've wanted to read. So for example, on my blog and in the newsletter, I often share 
where to start reading guides. So in the case of say Orwell, I'm a fan of George Orwell. So I'll revisit all the books in his catalog and then say, well, this is my favorite and I'll go from there. Same thing with, you know, classic authors like Jane Austen, Toni Morrison, James Baldwin. I just started Nancy Mitford again because I want to share a Nancy Mitford recommendation for the holidays because I think there is nothing more comforting than reading Nancy during the holidays. So for me, I think they're authors on my list that I've always wanted to read their works, both classic and contemporary. So I always try to make space for that. And then again, fortunately, uh, because people seem to care and I'm incredibly grateful for every subscriber and listener, then I'll share my favorites uh, from my personal reading list, which have nothing to do with all the books I'm reading for the guide. I know that's a mouthful, but I hope it makes sense. It totally does. And that's interesting to me that they're separate for you because I feel like everything I read, I just kind of lump into personal reading and job reading. Like it all just kind of goes together. So that's interesting how different people approach things. I remember, I think it always goes back to your why. And why I read is a question that I often ask myself. And the answer has changed over time. Uh, Obviously, when I was little and reading, you know, what I was hoping to get from books have uh, obviously changed. And my reading ambitions have also changed as well. But what I do know for a fact is when I had moved to the States full time and, you know, my family and I, we, we put down roots and we're like, yep, this is it. Last port of call, hopefully. I didn't have any friends and I had books, moved to a new town, new country, new everything, um, far away from my extended family. And I had books and I remember thinking, well, what am I going to read? I had come fresh out of a reading slump because we were traveling for my husband's job uh, you know, for, for months on end and we were finally settled. And I asked myself, what would I like to read? And I realized I had a list of authors in my head. I had books my grandmother passed down to me. I had just, you know, so many options and I wanted to kind of get through them. So that's where the personal reading list kind of started from. And I've never deviated you know, from, from that point. But when I started on Instagram, I received so many recommendations from readers and it was just so amazing. And seeing all the new books, because prior to Instagram, I wasn't as in tune to all the new books that were coming out. And when they were coming out, I would just lazily browse into a store, talk to my bookseller, they'd put something in my hand, I'd go home with it and it was happy days. So I've realized how much that has changed as I've gotten more immersed into the business, as I've been more in touch with what's coming out when. I mean, it's 2023, but mentally I'm in 24 and 25. So I think it's important for me to have something that keeps me grounded to my why so I don't lose that feeling books give me because I, I'm afraid of losing it and I think I have to take care of it so it doesn't go away. I just think it's fascinating to hear how everybody approaches things. And it's so interesting, you know, it can be different, it can be the same, but it's just Mm -hmm. very intriguing. Yes, we're all different. We're all unique. And I often say when I talk to folks trying to get back into reading, I often say we are all in different stages of our reading journey. And that's okay. I I should not be where you are or anything like that. You know, the good news is, you found reading communities because there's so many wonderful reading communities out there where you can get the resources you need, where you can get the support and where you can feel seen and heard. So uh, yes, we're all at different stages in our relationship with reading, but that's okay. Yes, most definitely. I agree with that completely. And then you have the Epigraph Literary Festival. Tell me more about that. 
Oh, wow. So that has been, I would say, the largest undertaking I've done thus far. So like I've said before, I've been living full time in the US coming on, I think about eight years now. Uh, Unfortunately, my little town, not so little anymore, but my town does not have a local indie, meaning a bookstore owned by someone living in our community. We don't have that. We have a Barnes and Noble, God bless, but we don't have an indie. And also my Barnes and Noble does not bring authors to town. So I haven't seen any authors. And if I want to see an author or get my book signed right then and there, I would have to drive two hours one way to get that uh, four hours round trip. So I don't really have a lot of opportunity to see authors sharing about their books. Now, as a content creator, I am fortunate because I'm able to have conversations with authors through the podcast, through the newsletter and other mediums. But there are lots of readers who have shared with me that they're in a similar boat. The difference is they're not a content creator, so they consume the content through me. So I wanted, because a podcast is audio, I wanted to have a visual medium where they can see the author sharing about their books. Spoiler free, but just tell them a bit about what the book is about, their inspiration for the story and what they have going on. So the Epigraph Literary Festival was born. So the festival is an all virtual event and its purpose is to introduce readers to authors with new and upcoming books. But we also have reading and lifestyle themed sessions. And again, because it's virtual, no matter where you're located, you can just log in once you have an internet connection and join in on the fun. So the festival runs over three days, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. We've had four successful events so far. I'm incredibly proud of it. I'm so grateful for all the readers who give their time to host the reading-themed sessions. Uh, a good friend of ours, Kelly Hooker, hosted a happy hour session at our last festival. Incredibly grateful for her. Other readers host sessions. So that helps to bring the festival to life. So we have authors, we have readers, we're talking about reading, we're talking about self-care, wellness, life, food, entertaining. Just once there's a book for it, we're having a conversation around it. So incredibly grateful to the authors who give their time, as well as the readers and uh, just all content creators in any shape and form. So yeah, it's a three-day festival. It's free. So you just have to sign up and join us at the next event. Uh, Replays are available. Those are behind a paywall. So if you show up for free, you get to enjoy all the content. But if you want to watch it at your leisure, you can sign up for replays. We have one festival, but we also have a bundle. So you can get all the content. And because it's organized according to genre, that's incredibly helpful to readers. So if you just want to go to the romance session and hear romance authors, you can do that. Historical fiction, thrillers, literary, nonfiction, whatever tickles your fancy. I hope we have a session at the festival for you. Well, Kelly Hooker is who connected us and who first told me about the festival because she was hosting a happy hour with Sherry Busey. And they had so much fun doing it. Yes. Oh, I was so grateful for those two. It was so, so much fun. It's a live session. So the festival is a mix of pre-recorded and live, but all the happy hour sessions, all the lifestyle sessions, they are live. And we still have authors who I'm incredibly grateful for pop in live as well. So we have a jolly good time. And Kelly did a session on little known gems. So you have those books that are just plastered everywhere. But then you have those um, hidden gems. That's the name of the session. She had a hidden gems happy hour. 
And it was so, so, so good. We also had winter themed happy hour. We had a holiday themed happy hour. We had a spooky and witchy happy hour. It was just so much fun. And again, I'm so grateful for the readers who, who showed up and who were so gracious with their time and their book recommendations. Well, I'm looking forward to participating in the next one because she was raving about it. And it sounds like a ton of fun. I can't wait to watch it. Yes. And I'm super excited. I hope to have you hosting uh, alongside Kelly too, Cindy. I think that would be fun. Oh, that would be fun. And now for a quick break to take a moment and thank today's sponsor, Air Doctor. Americans spend an average of 90% of their time indoors and take approximately 20,000 breaths a day. According to the EPA, indoor air is two to five times more polluted than outdoor air, and in some cases, even up to 100 times more polluted. I struggle with allergies myself that poor air quality exacerbates, and so using my air purifier from Air Doctor really helps me manage my allergies. So what's the solution to poor air quality? Air Doctor has introduced an air purifier that has captured the attention of established media outlets such as CNN, Money, and more. Air Doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants and allergens, such as pollen, pet dander, dust mite, mold, and even bacteria and viruses, so your lungs don't have to. All Air Doctor purifiers also feature whisper jet fans, 30% quieter than ordinary air purifiers. Want to breathe better? Head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code THOUGHTS from a page, and depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to $300 off. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock in this special offer by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use promo code thoughts from a page. Air Doctor also comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus the shipping. And now back to the rest of the show. Well, I was going to ask you if you DNF, but you mentioned that you do. I find it so fascinating, the whole DNF conversation, because some people will not DNF at all. And others are very quick DNFers and other people are in the middle. So what happens with your DNF process? Ooh, so to DNF or not DNF, that is a question, ain't it? (laughs) (laughs) The most important question. Yeah, most important question. And you're only asking the important ones here today. (laughs) So my relationship with it is I've been on both sides of the divide, if I'm being honest. And okay, so here's a personal story getting into my upbringing, something I'm not really good at. So my mother and my father to some degree, but more my mom, love her to pieces, but she was very adamant about finishing anything you started. And one of my best girlfriends, her mom, who, you know, both our moms are friends and I love her mom too. And her mom was quite the opposite. You know, if my friend Dee didn't want to finish something, she just, she, she'd be like, okay, no problem. My mom was a complete opposite. So for me with books, If I started a book, I felt I had to finish a book. What happened, and I've noticed this because I keep a reading journal. I'm a huge proponent of reading journals and there are different ways to journal, by the way, but that's a conversation for a different day. But I would often notice in my reading journals, post forcing myself to finish a book because I started it, because I was raised to finish anything I started, I would be so unhappy I'm also just a journaler in general, not just reading. And I'd notice after finishing a book, I forced myself to finish. I would go long stints without reading something straight after. And I realized I was making myself miserable. And I was like, well, why am I doing this to myself? I'm not in school anymore. And that's another thing. I think folks have varied experiences with reading in school. And I had to remind myself, I'm not in school anymore. I'm not doing anything academic. This is for me. I'm reading for myself. So if I choose not to finish, I should be allowed to because I have a lot of required reading I have to do for the day job anyway. 
So in my personal life, in my leisure reading, why should I force myself? So one day I decided to do it and I was incredibly guilty after, incredibly guilty. I was, you know, itchy about it. I was, you know, it was just, I don't know how else to explain it, but I know I had a lot of anxiety around not finishing the book. And the more I gave myself permission to do it, it became just commonplace. And now, especially because I'm in a space where I am reading to create content, I have to let it go. I have to let it go because I have more books I want to read. I have more books I need to read for the guide, but also books I want to read for myself. So I think it all goes back to what is your daily, you know, your personal experiences? What are your life experiences? Because if you are in a space where you have to read for work, you have to read for work, then in your personal life, maybe it translates to, well, I have to read for work, so I'm just going to finish reading the book. Or you can just give yourself permission to not finish something you're not enjoying. Because I found when I've given myself permission to let the book go, that is not working for me. It then opens up the possibilities to find something that I will love, that I will rave about, and I can't stop talking about. And those are the books I want to focus on, not the ones I didn't like, but the ones I absolutely loved. I agree with all of that. And I also think that just because you DNF a book now doesn't mean the book is gone to you forever. I mean, it's not like you're saying I can never return to it. But for me, I think you talk about it making you sad when you finish a book because you spend all this time on it and then you don't like it. What I find is it ends up making me mad, which is just a hilarious emotion to have related to it. But I'm mad that I spent all this time on this book that I don't like. And so then it just puts me in a terrible mood. And I'm like, I'm just mad that I finished this book, which I don't know, it's kind of goofy, I guess. But so I have decided, yes, if I am not liking it, I need to just stop. And as I said, it doesn't mean I won't ever go back to it. But if it's not the book for me, it's probably the book for somebody else. They can read it and love it. I would also rather focus on the books that I am really loving and I want to be an evangelist for. Absolutely. And I love that you mentioned it doesn't mean you can't return to it because I do have a DNF pile and I donate books on a regular because, uh, again, as a content creator, I've been fortunate to have been gifted books all the time. I don't always give them away right away. They actually sit there in the DNF pile because I also, I'm at a point in my reading journey where I'm able to recognize maybe now is not the right time. Because I was just sharing with Cindy, I had some family matters I was dealing with over the past week, and I just could not focus on anything heavy. I just needed something lighthearted, silly, um, low stakes, not something where I needed to think. And I was in the middle of a book and it was good, but I just, now was not the right time. But I promise you, I will be revisiting it. So some books you will revisit, some books are just a hard no, and that's okay. But I love that you mentioned it doesn't mean it's no forever. It sometimes means no for right now. Definitely. And also, I think, as you mentioned, there are the right time and the wrong time for certain books. And if I have just finished a book that I thought was absolutely fabulous, sometimes it's really hard to follow that book up with almost anything because you just love the book so much. So I have to realize too, okay, I just finished this one book. This new one's not grabbing me, but it's probably partly because I'm still immersed in the book I just finished. And so you have to kind of switch genres or give yourself a little bit of a break or whatever it is. And then yes, as we've talked about, you don't, it doesn't mean you can't return to it. Absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. Well, this is always my favorite part is to hear what people recommend. Just as you were mentioning earlier, people love to swap book recommendations. And I always love to hear what people are loving, like what is really resonating with them. Ooh, there've been so many great books this fall. I'm going to focus on some books I've been reading, new books I've been reading for fall 2023. 
some of which are available in my fall reading guide. So if you want a copy, just go to fallreadingguide.com and you can download a copy of the guide there. I think I mentioned, yes, I did. I'm a huge fan of George Orwell. And there are two Orwell books in the guide. And after publishing the guide, I was like, whoops. But you know what? Sometimes it happens. And both books really resonated with me. One is fiction, one is nonfiction. So if you're a George Orwell fan, I think you should read nonfiction, a book entitled Wifedom by Anna Fonda. So this is a biography of George Orwell's first wife. I'm always fascinated by the significant others of these very famous writers. So George Orwell is a classic. He's read not just by the general population, he's taught in schools. I'm very curious about the woman behind the man. So this is a biography of his first wife. And in this book, we really see just how crucial she was to his success and how she influenced some of his most famous works. So if you're interested in, again, George Orwell, or just the significant others behind these incredibly prominent figures, I highly recommend Wifedom, and it's by Anna Fonda. On the fiction side, again, big Orwell fan here, another Orwellian book is Julia by Sandra Newman. Now this is fiction, and it's a retelling. I love a good retelling, and when an author gets it right, they get it right. So this is a modern feminist retelling of 1984. I think 1984 is one of Orwell's most popular works. I think Animal Farm might be a close second, but for sure 1984. And I have a gazillion editions of that one. But in this retelling, it's a feminist retelling, we get the point of view of a woman named Julia Worthing. I don't know if folks remember the Ministry of Truth. There was a whole fiction department and she's a mechanic working there. So we kind of get an insider story not just to the ministry, but also a woman's telling of Orwell's world. And I think the author did an amazing job. So I really, I really enjoyed uh, that one as well. And she's the first author to get the approval of the Orwell estate to do this. Absolutely. And I love when that happens, you know, when these two things collide, because there are lots of biographies and, you know, fiction uh, works as well, where they really do deep dives on uh, individuals. But without the permission of the estate. But yes, Sandra Newman got it. And I think the book was just incredibly well done. And if you're a fan of dystopian fiction, uh, if you've read 1984, I think you'll enjoy it. It's on my list and I really need to get to it because it just sounds so intriguing. It She did a good job, I have to say. Something lighter. Okay. What is here that I can recommend that is a lighter read? So I recommended three romance books in the Fall Reading Guide. I'm going to recommend A Dish Best Served Hot. And this is by Natalie Karna. Now, she had written a book before, and I actually recommended it in my summer reading guide for 2022. And her second book is just as good. I love books that sent her grandparents. I just do. I grew up with my paternal grandparents. They're my heroes. I thought they were the adults when my parents weren't. And yeah, they were just so instrumental in my upbringing. And in this book, we see grandfathers playing a role. So their high school sweethearts is a romance novel, and we see them reuniting after decades apart. So second chance romance, but they're reuniting because of their grandfathers. And now, you know, they have a fresh start and we'll see, will they or won't they kind of thing. So I love books with grandparents, octogenarians, people who are much older than me. I think they can be funny. I love the meddling aunties bit as well, just meddling family members. 
But these grandparents are quite interesting. And I love Natalie Connor. She has written two books, and I think they're both winners. The first book was A Proposal They Can't Refuse, and you have meddling grandparents in there as well, as well as her new book, A Dish Best Served Hot. So if you're looking for a romance, I recommend Natalie Connor. I love that she's making a subgenre of romances where the grandparents are involved. Yes. I just, I don't know. I just, I live for reading those kinds of books. And oh, speaking of grandparents and just reading books with protagonists who are much older than me, it just came to my mind and I just can't help but recommend it is Fellowship Point. Fellowship Point was written by Alice Elliot Dark. I love that book so, so much. It's one of those books with lots of pages, but even after reading that, I still uh, wanted more. It's just magnificent storytelling. And our main character, I think she was in her 80s or 90s. She's a writer. She has a friend. They both own a piece of land and they're trying to decide what to do. One wants to sell it. One wants to keep it going. But more importantly, I just loved reading about their lives over time and how much things have changed, how much they've remained the same. But yes, I can just read stories about women and um, women, you know, later in life, kind of coming of age. I just, I think there's something special about that. And I think we're starting to see more and more of those stories, thankfully. Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, Because I love a good 20-something protagonist, but I also love reading about women in their 30s, their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. We're living much longer now. There's a lot more to look forward to. So when an author can put uh, women together and friendship, I think friendship is such an underrated relationship. I love when it can be put to the forefront. So if you're interested in Friendship with Women Later On in Life, uh, Fellowship Point by Alice Elliott Dark. I've heard such great things about that one. And that's another one that just got by me when it came out. I think because it was so large and I kept thinking I really need to set aside a good amount of time and then I just never had it. But I have it and I will eventually get to it. Yes, it's a beast. It's, it's almost, I think it's a bit over 600 pages, but I remember telling readers, don't be put off by the pages. Once you start going, you're going to keep turning the pages. And in the end, if you're like me, you're going to want more. And you'll be glad you read it. Yes, yes. Well, Victoria, thank you so much for joining me today. This was just such a delightful conversation, and I'm really glad we're getting to know each other. Same here, and I'm looking forward to more future conversations together. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I would love to connect with you on Instagram or Facebook, where you can find me at Thoughts From A Page. If you enjoy this show, please consider joining my Patreon group to access bonus content and support the podcast. If you have a moment to rate the show or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts, I would really appreciate it. It makes a big difference. And please tell all of your friends about Thoughts From A Page. Word of mouth does wonders to help the show grow. I hope you'll tune in next time. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. 
My name is Aaron Calafato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately seven minutes.